Yes, sir. And uh, let's welcome to the Man on Second podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Frisaro with our co-host and producer, Dave D'Agostino. Our mission, as always, is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. We will do so today, today and some with our very special guest, former big league infielder Nick Green, currently an analyst at uh, for the Atlanta Braves. But before we bring in Nick, uh, let's get Dave in with some announcements. Hey, Dave. Yeah, th- thanks, Joe. Episode 437 now on our network here. We're rolling along. Just want to thank Jaw Bats, uh, newest baseball bat sponsored uh, or certified to be an MLB. RVG at checkout will get you a discount on a great maple bat. Our very own Jeff Fry hit a double, pull side double off the wall in fantasy camp, so you know it works. Uh, my son Tanner's using an M110 model, both lefty and righty. Loves the balance. RBG gets you a percentage off at checkout. You can use it for any of their apparel as well. So I recommend Jaw Bats. Millions, our newest partner in marketing. Uh, they're handling all of our advertisement. The influx has gone through the roof since we hit 65000 So thank you for your partnership. Uh, really taking a lot of load off of me, and, and they're phenomenal at what they do. Thank you as well to the Webbies and Sports Podcast Group, two separate groups. We've been nominated for Baseball Podcast of the Year. So thank you, those guys. And 65000 as of this morning, Joe. You are the third round of a quadruple header Thursday. So Nick Green in between the Hall of Famer Jim Cott and then She Gone Nation leader Jeff Fry. So welcome to the show, Nick and Joe. Great to have you back. Uh, thanks, Dave. And it's exciting hitting the middle of the order of uh, this exciting lineup we have. We will try to carry our weight. And and I'm excited for this one. Uh, I Every time I talk to Nick Green, I feel like I'm away a little bit smarter talking about baseball. Uh, when I was traveling with the Marlins and all those years at MLB.com, uh, it was always fun to go to Atlanta and see Nick. And, of course, Nick spent a little bit of time in Miami, so I covered him as a player as well. Uh, quick background, Nick Green uh, played in parts of eight big league seasons, 2004 to 13. Uh, teams he played for included Tampa Bay, Miami, Atlanta, Boston, the Los Angeles Dodgers, New York Yankees. Seattle, Toronto. I don't think I missed anyone, Nick, but if I did, fill us in. Uh, <laughs> does an amazing job as an analyst on um, Bally Sports South uh, with the Atlanta Braves. And always great to have him on the show. We had Nick on before uh, about 13, 14 months ago. We were just growing this, Nick, back then. We were only a couple of thousand. Now we're at 65K and, and growing. And, uh, you know, having guests like you on to help pave the way for where we are. Welcome, my friend, Nick Green. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm glad that you guys are growing. It's always fun talking baseball with you guys. Yeah, Nick, you know, it, I, I was wanting a, a former player on, and you always I would have on as often as I could and want to catch you before you get super busy uh, with, with the Braves. But I, I kind of want to get into the mindset of a player uh, as spring training's approaching. And from a couple a couple of different angles. For one, if you're a non-roster guy this time and you you sign, we're 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 at February one. Camp's going to open in a couple of weeks. You know, how is that mindset for a player if you're an NRI compared to if you know you're on the team and just expectations? I really kind of want to get into a player's point of view as spring training gets rolling. Yeah, it's it's a challenge whenever you're a non-roster invite. I mean, you try to pick a team in the off season that you feel like you can have a chance of making that team and have a legit chance of making that team. Uh, if you can do that, you still have to be ready to perform at your best as soon as things click um, and start off. So it's, it's a challenge. Um, it's a challenge not to put too much pressure on yourself. I never was in the, um, of the good fortune of having a, a guaranteed deal so that I couldn't go into spring training knowing that I had a job, but I know there are a lot of guys out there that go into spring having a job and that's something they can kind of, take it in stride as far as, okay, I'm, I don't have to be quite my best as soon as things start. I know that if I hit 250, I'm going to be okay. I don't have to hit 400 to make an impression. That's the challenging part from the mental side if you are a non-roster invitee. Um, but yeah, it's still fun. It's a challenge. And anytime that you can compete for a job, it's a great thing. So in the off season, you always try to pick a team if you're a free agent 
that you have a chance to, to make that team and a legit chance to make, make that team, whatever organization fits best for that particular role is kind of how you choose your team too. Yeah, it, it, I find it really a fascinating, you know, dynamic because, you know, you go into, you know, typical Marlins. I think when you were in camp, they're probably about 63-ish, you know, and, and pretty much a good 20 jobs are already decided. I think uh-huh. you were 25-man rosters. And then, then you kind of know. You're, you're kind of doing the math in your head. Uh, they're going to carry X number of infielders. Uh, do I play a little outfield to give a little more, you know, versatility? Do you play the math in your head or do you just have to just, hey, I can't control what I can't control. I can control what I can control. Or or is it just human nature to do the math in your head or you just so locked in because you're a baseball player? I mean, you're always doing the math. You understand kind of what's going on. Uh, I'll never forget going to camp with the Orioles. I felt like I had a chance to make that team. And then I ended up playing right field on the back end of almost every single game. So after they did that for about a week, week and a half, I knew that I didn't have a chance to make that team. Um, it, it was unfortunate for me and sad for me that it wasn't really getting a, an opportunity, but it was just the reality. And anytime that you go to camp without a job, you understand what's going on around you. You understand the guys you're competing against, what they're doing, how they're looking versus how you're looking, how you're doing. Um, it, and again, it doesn't always, the numbers don't always mean everything, but a lot of times it means a lot and you're aware of that. So if I go into spring training competing for a job and I'm sitting there after two weeks hitting a hundred, I feel pretty down. It's hard for me to get back up because I know that I, I might've missed that window. And, you know, it's just, it's something that, that you have to go through as far as baseball is concerned all the way around. It's a mental grind, and for non-roster invitees, it starts right out of the gate. Whenever you sit there and have live BPs and you feel bad, you don't look good, you're looking over your shoulder seeing who's watching and who's taking notes. Uh, And if you don't look good or feel good in those situations, your confidence can go down. So it's it's a big challenge. Um, It's a fun challenge, but again, it's it's a grind, and it's you're still trying to compete for a job in the big leagues, and I don't think there's anything better than that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the goal, and that's obviously the driving force. And it's anyone that wore the uniform, uh, including everyone that kind of falls off after high school, they still at some point dreamed of the big leagues. Uh-huh. So even to you know to get that invite alone is is sometimes the only incentive that all the incentive you need to to go out there and, and give it a shot. How do you how did you kind of if you were in an NRI situation or you know do you do you start hitting earlier? Do you, you know, what's your January look like? Are you are you pretty much trying to be May ready compared to April ready or, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, always being a little bit ahead because you have to be sharp to avoid, you know, getting there. Hey, I'm going to take Kristen Yelich was a slow starter in spring uh-huh. because he didn't ha- need to have his swing. His swing had yep. moving parts that he always felt needed to kind of get in the sink. So Yelly didn't hit for two weeks. No one worried because by the time opening day was there, he was ready to hit 300. Yep. So how is it for, for Nick Green in that situation? For me, I wish I could go back and do it again um, because I don't feel like I prepared as well as I should have for the season. I felt like, okay, I'm kinda t- I kind of took it for granted that I got a non-roster invite every single year. Once I got on the 40-man roster, I never went to minor league camp until I got sent down. Um, but I, if I look back at it, I feel like live pitching, velocity on machines, seeing more hard breaking balls, that type of thing would have gotten me more locked in early. Um, I, I was when, when I took batting practice, I just against live BP, I literally did what the older guys did. And what they did was they would just sit there and watch pitches. I don't think that's the best way to get adjusted to pitching, but those guys already had a job. So it didn't matter. They were just seeing velocity, seeing pitches. They didn't worry about their swing because they knew they were going to get that off in the game, and the results didn't really matter. For me, I wish I could have gone back, started earlier, started hitting machines. That was not encouraged when I was playing. It's encouraged now just to see velocity, understand kind of what my weaknesses were, and I would be ready for that. Uh, once spring training started. Instead, I just kind of took it like the, all, all the other veteran guys, did my normal routines in the offseason, never really faced any velocity, didn't see any live pitching, 
And then once I got to camp, I started to try to figure it out then. Well, by that time, it can be too late. So I wish I could go back and do it again and encourage myself to do things a little bit differently and prepare myself better uh, out of the start versus, okay, I, I, I'm looking at down the road, like one month into the season, I'm fine. I wasn't, I wasn't on a team. I just needed to be ready to go from the get-go, and sometimes I wasn't. Uh, a few times I was, but, yeah, I wish I could go back and do that again. Yeah, because I think, you know, it, it's how, you know, I looked at the game as someone who came on board covering MLB full-time in 2002, um, and and then seeing what spring training was like, it's obviously changed a lot, uh, but to me, certain elements are still there. It's still about preparing for the season. It's still about I don't put a lot of stock in in spring training numbers and so uh-huh. forth, theoretically, because it's about getting ready. It's about, you know, if you're working on stuff. I remember, you know, Brad Hand, they were completely changing Brad Hand, uh, working on a, you know, because I think he had a curveball at the time and a changeup, and they kind of got him away from that to do a slider. And he had a miserable, miserable spring, and they cut him. And then he mm-hmm. becomes like a three-time all-star and, you know, save leader. Because they they messed him up, you know they they said yep. spring training doesn't matter. You're working on stuff. And he's giving up six runs an outing, and they couldn't <laughs> run him half here fast enough. And and San Diego jumped in and, and made him an all star pitcher yep. by just you know refining a pitch. So it's always it's always kind of that. But we are becoming such an outcome oriented society. So it seems like like you say you got to come in day one. And perform at, you know, if you don't go two for four in your first game, then, you know, you're going to have a bad year because you're not going to come back and hit the next day. It's <laughs> it's uh, it's still I'm trying to figure out how's the best way to thread that needle, develop players, give everyone a fair shot without, you know, jumping the gun or overreacting. You know, well, I, I think also if you come into spring training and it's hard, it's hard to recognize as a player. But if you come into spring training and you're getting good swings off, your decisions are good. Um, you look healthy and, and you have, you know, the underlying things are there. There's so much data that shows that, okay, this guy's going to be okay. And back when I was playing, it wasn't like that. So literally you were basing everything off of results. And now I think you can start off and say, okay, the first two weeks he didn't hit well, but there were some underlying things that looked good to me. And then all of a sudden the last two weeks of spring, you end up swinging the bat well and you make a team. I think that's more realistic than it used to be um, because I, I know there were so many times where I felt like I struggled early, got a little bit of an opportunity. And then on the back end of spring training, I would just be put in on the back end of the games where I'd play like right field or, you know, come in at third base for somebody um, that played seven innings. So I, I feel like they have a better shot now to, to struggle a little bit early, but be able to turn that on because of all the data that they get uh, at the beginning of spring as well. What what type of data you know kind of help our audience get a clue? Yeah, you're, what look, you, you're looking at up? exit velocity. You're looking at they they analyze all the swing pass um, from BP on, and so they get all the data from the swing path. You could tell based on kind of where that path is if there was a deficiency there. If I feel like the swing path really good, I feel like the exit velocity is good. They're squaring balls up, uh, and then obviously the swing decisions too. I, I feel like those things can go can weigh pretty heavily on decision-making, not just necessarily based on, okay, I went four for five, but I hit one ball hard, you know? So I I just feel like there's so much more data that they can look at and and feel like they have better decision-making skills as far as picking roster spots, just based off of what they feel like is going to happen uh, during the season. Players getting this or your observations, are, are the players getting that information or is that kind of the coaches are seeing it in the, in the front office as they're making their decisions or are they kind of saying like, you know, you probably see it in Braves camp, you know, somebody would be like, hey, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm doing good. And then someone says, hey, the data says you're not mm-hmm. doing so bad. So kind of stay the course. Yeah, the, the, everybody's getting it. And I think it's good for coaches to, to relate to the players because it keeps you in a better mindset um, and you want everybody to have a positive attitude, even if they aren't going to make the team, but you want them to feel good about themselves. So anytime somebody is down, they can look at that data and say, Hey, it's okay. It's not as bad as you feel like it is. Now, sometimes it is as bad as you think it is, but there are a lot of times where the data shows that you're, you're swinging the bat better than you really are. 
And, um, you know, I would love to be able to have that data now when I was playing what they have now, but we just didn't have that. So uh, I think it's just an easier transition from spring training to the regular season, easier on the mind as far as understanding. I still do have a shot to make this team, even though the uh, numbers that most people see aren't great. Uh, but, you know, each per, each individual has to take that data and run with it in a positive way. Otherwise, it's not going to work anyway. Exactly. Dave, jump in. Yeah, I mean, t- talking to that, uh, you guys, the Braves just traded a, what I thought was going to be a future player for them, Vaughn Grissom for, mm-hmm. for Chris Sale. Um, two years ago, Grissom filled in, I thought, fairly well for Albies and Swanson in the middle. I think most people outside the Braves thought he would be in one of those two spots this upcoming season, but never, never got a sniff. Can you share with us a little bit about uh, your thoughts on Grissom as a player and then that move, the sale Grissom move? You know, where do you think the, how do you think the Braves did in that trade? Yeah, I thought it was good for everybody. Um, I thought it was good for Vaughn because he really wasn't going to give, get an opportunity in Atlanta. I think you look at the only chance that he had was to play shortstop here. And Orlando RC is a superior defender. Vaughn still had a long way to go from the defensive side at shortstop. Much better at second base. The dude can hit. Um, I think he's still growing into his body, and he's going to end up having more power than he has right now. But his bat-to-ball skills are really, really good. He's a great kid. The character level is very high. Um, His confidence is through the roof. Uh, He's a good clubhouse guy. So there are so many things to like about Vaughn, but there just wasn't an opportunity here in Atlanta. Ozzy Albies is a perennial all-star. You know, he's one of the best second basemen of the game. Yeah. Orlando Arcia, his goal is to play good defense, and he's a tremendous defender. Oh, by the way, he did a great job with the bat last year too, so that didn't hurt. But um, as far as Vaughn going to Boston, he's going to get an opportunity, hopefully, to play every day. Uh, I think it's great for him. And on the Braves side of it, they needed some a starter that they could slot in between Strider and Morton. And I think Chris Sale fits that. I think that a lot of people are, are going to say, oh, well, he can't stay healthy. Well, we don't know that. If if the Braves felt like he couldn't stay healthy, they wouldn't have traded for him for one. And then second of all, they wouldn't have extended him. So I think they have a pretty good idea of where his health is going to be. They find it, find ways to keep him healthy. I don't think you're going to see him throw 160, 170 innings. But to be able to slot him in in that three spot in that rotation is huge for the Braves. The other thing that I think is, is important is, is he brings an edge to the team. And it's an edge that they haven't really had a lot of. Um, last year, they were lacking that. And I, I think that when you compare, say, the Phillies to the Braves, they have guys with an edge. And the edge takes you a long way whenever you, you face adversity. And a guy like Chris Sale, who, what is he, a seven-time All-Star, I think, um, he's the World Series champion. He has that pedigree. And that attitude and that demeanor, I think that's going to take this uh, starting rotation a, a long way. So I feel like it was a great trade for, for both ends. Yeah, well said. I'm a big fan of ball. I agree with you with the sale trade. I thought he, he does give that veteran clubhouse presence. He, he does have an edge. I mean, we've seen that in his career. There's there's nothing that says otherwise. I'm glad Grissom's getting a shot because much mm-hmm. like you talked about as, you're, as you, you climb through, through Major League Baseball, that's important. You can work as hard as you can work and you can be as good as you can be. But if you don't get the, the shot at the right time, uh, you know, the, the career could be over. So I'm happy for Grissom, too. He's going to be a good young player, I think, in MLB. Yeah, I, I want to jump in with, with Grissom. Uh, Nick, you're probably aware or uh, are you that Riley Green, Vaughn Grissom and Ryan Mountcastle were all on the same team at Haggerty High, High here in Florida. Uh, I think it's in Oviedo at the same time. I knew that they worked out together. I didn't realize that they were on the same high school team, though. That's a yeah. Pretty, Mountcastle pretty good was a senior. Mountcastle was like a senior, and and Green and Grissom were like freshmen or or sophomores. So when Green became kind of you know a top top five pick by his senior year, Grissom was kind of the other guy. But you know Mountcastle had been their teammate, and and I remember a scout had told me that uh, you know about a year or so ago. Because I was asking about those guys, they said they went. All these scouts went to see Mountcastle, and and they and the coach told them. And I don't think he's the same coach there. He told the scouts, "I got three big leaguers on this roster," and they're like, "No way!" And and they're <laughs> like, "These two freshmen, 
and I think Green's name was out there, but Grissom was kind of the third wheel. Uh, but you know, obviously, it's uh, I find those backstories interesting. <laughs> Did you have any of that growing up? You know, where you were on a team with you know like seven superstars that came out later. No, I wish I was. <laughs> we we weren't fortunate enough to have that um, type of talent level, but it was it was all fun just to to see any kind of scout at a game for us. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah. Let, let's switch. Uh, Dave, you want to go? We could go down that angle of, of the Braves. Uh, but like I said, I wanted to kind of get Nick's perspective on that player mindset as, as spring training goes. But yeah. we we could dive into to the Braves because I think it's fascinating. You mentioned, you know. You mentioned the pedigree. You mentioned the Braves, uh, you know, just having conviction on on a Chris Sale to, you know, to not just pull the trigger on the trade, but like you say, to extend. You know, it contrasts that a little bit right now here in Miami, part of my frustration with the new regime. And I, I get that there's money. You know, we Miami people completely understand there's money issues involved. But there is uh, with Peter Bendix and, you know, he's kind of laying his trying to build a front office but they have yet to make a free agent signing at the big league level. And here's a team that, you know, we we've seen from last year with the expanded playoff, you don't have to be a super team. You could be a very flawed team or, you know, get hot at the right time. And next thing you know, you're, you're going to the playoffs and deep into the playoffs. So I, my criticism of Marlins is go for it. Like, you know, Add somebody, resign Solaire, do do something. So talk about just that Braves mindset because Anthopolis clearly in Atlanta, Dombrowski in Philly. Now, granted, these are two of the top. You know, to me, Dombrowski is a Hall of Famer, and 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 Alex might be putting himself in that conversation real soon as well. But they're organizations with conviction to at least see what they want and go and get it. Yeah, the the tricky thing with different organizations is how much room do you have to work. And the Braves obviously have a lot of money they can work with. And I think that's something, obviously, that, that the Marlins do not have. So for Alex, that the farm system is kind of depleted. So he has to get creative and tricky with how he makes these moves, how he gets his roster in a better spot, because he doesn't have guys to trade. Now, everybody wanted Dylan Cease to come over to Atlanta, but the Braves just didn't have anything to trade for him. They didn't have enough. And then Alex goes out. And trades for Kelnick. Um, he takes on Marco Gonzalez's contract. Uh, and he, he took on Evan White's contract as well. Those are two bad contracts, right? Braves had no, they had no plan of, of keeping those players, but they knew they could take on the money to get Kelnick. So essentially, they end up taking on $17 million to get Jared Kelnick. That was probably the best player they could get for what they were trying to do. He has tons of upside, I think five years of control. So he had to get tricky with that. He, nobody expected the Chris Sale deal either. And if Alex could have, if he had more money to spend in the, on the free agent market, I think you would see him go after certain guys. But he's also kind of limited himself with the max salary he wants. So if you look at the max salaries for the Braves, where they tap, tap out, it's, it's like $22 million. So you're not going to get a high-end, high, high-end free agent at that cost. Aaron Nola signs for what seventy years, one hundred seventy-two million, and yeah. so I, I still felt like that was too high. But if you're going to win, you've got to get creative. If you don't have the money to spend on free agents, you have to figure out a way to do it. You have to try to make your team better. If I'm in the Marlins spot, you go to the NL wild card game, and then you make zero moves while losing a guy who had thirty-six home runs. So. How do and your you ex- ace has gone in self yes, in he's hurt too. Yeah, so he's hurt too. So how do you expect your fans to feel when you don't put anything back into the organization? The Braves fans, they are on top of the world with Alex. And what, anything that Alex does, they love it because they know that Alex has a plan and he's going to make this team better. And I think that's unfortunate for Miami, especially after what they did last year. You've got to try to do something to try to make your team better for your fan base. But uh, unfortunately for them, they just haven't done that, and the Braves just continue yeah. to find ways to do it. Yeah, and, uh, and you, uh, a friend of ours, Jorge Soler, who you saw in Atlanta a few years mm-hmm. ago, become an MVP of the World Series. The Marlins see him hit 36 homers. The year before, he, it was a little bit down because of more, more or less from injuries. But we know the threat. We know what he means to impact a game. Even with a high K rate, who cares? You know, he what he does, he was an all-star last year. 
And I'm sorry, like if it's two years, 36 or whatever, and he says no, and you want to be creative on the third year, if, you know, I, I just don't get it. You know, I'm like, go for it. And if it doesn't work, you can always move them. And your fan base will at least say you went for it, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so just kind of your thoughts on Jorge Soler. And are you surprised he's still out there? Uh, I am to a degree. I mean, he, he brings obviously power, but I don't know what kind of deal he's looking for either. When he signed that with the Marlins, a three-year deal with the Marlins, I was actually shocked that he got what he got. Like I was, I was in the, I was of the idea of okay, two years is a good number for him. I, I like him as a player, but I don't. I wouldn't go, you know, three years. I would do a two-year deal again with some sort of option, maybe. But yeah, I think that might be right. the holdup. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a good player. Doesn't really play defense, so he's a just straight DH. And how much are you going to pay for a DH? Is there room on certain rosters for a DH? Uh, I would think that somebody out there would try to make their team better with him, but I guess as of now, nobody's really made that offer that I think that he wants. Yeah, yeah. Dave, jump in. Uh, you know, you, you talked great about the middle. Uh, you know, you got two all-stars there with, with Albies and, and RC in the middle. I, I believe he was an all-star last year. Mm -hmm. And you got to be, you got to be, they, and they did it. The Braves are just, they do it all. They develop, they sign timely free agents. They keep their players healthy for the most part. Where, where do you think their center fielder Harris fits into the mix? Not just with the Braves, but over baseball, uh, one of the top defenders in the league. I think he is. And I think he's getting better. Um, I think what MLB network ranked as number five center fielder in the game the other day. So I think that's pretty high praise knowing who all's out there, but I think he's going to get better. I think he's twenty. Three, I think he's. Yeah. I think he's twenty-three. Um, he his talent levels through the roof. He has all the confidence in the world. He works hard. Um, he's athletic. Uh, he wants to be better. And I think what you've seen over these first two years is not even close to what he's going to be. Um, I think he's going to be a perennial all-star. Things he hit twenty home runs a year. Uh, I don't know where he's going to land in the lineup. But I like the the idea of, of keeping him towards the bottom, and then also be able to use him in that two spot. But yeah, I think he's going to be a superstar. Hopefully, it's this coming year. If not, I think in the next couple of years he will be a true superstar. Eventual top of the lineup guy, though. You think bat the ball? Yeah, I think he could. I don't think that. I don't know if that's the best spot for him. Um, I I I've talked to him before, and he's like, I kind of like just sliding in the bottom of the lineup. Nobody cares about me. Sometimes I I don't even face the starter. He's out of the game before they even get to me. But I feel like he likes that, but he's more than capable of hitting the two spot too. So I don't know if, if you're going to see him in a three, four, five spot, but maybe maybe a two spot or a, maybe a six spot somewhere in there. Yeah, fair. No, that's fair. Yeah, that, I, that like, leadoff guy isn't really moving unless he wants to, I don't think, in Atlanta. He does not need to move. Last time they tried <laughs> that, it didn't work out well. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the MVP could stay right at the top of the order. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's interesting. You know, uh, Nick, I want to kind of ask you about the Braves and the fact of, uh, you know, what, what you're painting the picture of. And I think if you look at just in terms of war, they're probably best in the National League, their roster. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, is everyone knows who stole, who stole the offseason. The Dodgers with the, uh, you know, the Otani and then getting Yamamoto and, and they get seemingly whatever they want. Uh, <laughs> check. Uh, do you think the Braves kind of relish the fact that put the target on L.A. and, and kind of make the Braves somehow an underdog? I think they do. They'll tell you that they don't really pay attention to that. But you have to pay attention to a d degree. I mean, when you think about the Braves from the time they started winning the divisions in 2018, they were always looking up to the Dodgers and trying to be like the Dodgers. That's what the ultimate goal was. You know, if, if you, once you, once you beat the Dodgers, then it's like, Oh, okay, well now we are, you know, the cream of the crop, but the payroll the Dodgers have is just absurd. And they make splashes like the Otani deal, the Yamamoto deal. They have money just to burn. They end up trading for glass now and signing him to an extension, which to me was would a way overpay for somebody who can't stay healthy, uh, but they can do that. And I think the Braves do like kind of being, you know, the back burner a little bit to the Dodgers. But in reality, I feel like the Braves have surpassed the Dodgers. And I think they're they're the team that everybody wants to get and chase, even though 
it's all in the public eye of, hey, it's Dodgers, Dodgers, Dodgers. I think it's still um, within baseball. It's like we have to beat the Braves. If we don't beat the Braves, we can't beat – we can't get where we want to get. And I think that's um, – it's fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, the splash is made with you making those big deals like the Dodgers made, and that's just kind of the reality of things. And the Braves, I think they do like to have the Dodgers being talked about more than they are. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh... – it, it should be fun to see because they're going to they're going to take a lot of oxygen out of the room uh, because, you know, for obvious reasons. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be, you know, getting a little less sleep at night, wanting to see, you know, Otani at bats. And, and when he a year from now, when he's <laughs> pitching again uh, to see Otani pitch, you have to see how Showtime does. Uh, Dave, your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, going going back to the pitching side, I, the, the Braves have a stable the the one guy that he, he emerged a couple years back but he's been often injured what's the latest on ian anderson he is still recovering from tommy john yeah. um i saw him a couple weeks ago down at fantasy camp and he he said he's doing well um i don't think they expect him back until maybe after the all-star break so in reality i don't think they're expecting anything out of him this year at the big league level you just have to get him healthy and get him throwing again because when he when he got sent down he was struggling badly and then he gets hurt down in the minor leagues, but um, he had some things to work on and he knew that, but now he's focused on getting healthy and then he's going to have to end up reworking some things once he does get healthy. Yeah. But they certainly have enough people to, uh, to, to bide their time with they're, they're, they're loaded and uh, not to take us off the current team, but obviously we just came off the hall of fame vote a couple weeks back. Jim Cotton, I spoke about it in the show right before here. At what point in time, and this is coming from an 80s baby, so maybe a little biased, when will Dale Murphy make the Hall of Fame? It's got to be within the next couple of years. I mean, you're looking at the guys that are going in. Um, some of the guys, obviously, next year is going to be completely different. Uh, that That is crazy who all is eligible then. But you're, let, you're allowing some guys in that, that I feel like are borderline. And, um, and you look at Dale Murphy's numbers, and I don't understand why he's not – being put in by the veterans committee. I don't, I don't get that one. I, I think that the, I guess the one knock against him is he was hurt a lot. And so his numbers didn't stay consistent for his entire career, but I don't understand how you keep him out this long. When you think of the eighties, I mean, he, he's the center fielder. Yeah. Yep. The two back to back MVPs. Um, you know, he was, it took me a while to, to realize that he was a center fielder because I didn't watch the Braves when I was young. But I just – his big body, I'm like, oh, this dude's a right fielder. It's all good. Like, he's got a strong arm and hits for power. But, no, he was he was a stud. I know he won a bunch of gold gloves, too. And maybe that the advanced metrics show that he possibly should not have won all those gold gloves. But he won them, and they're on his, on his resume. So, hey, I mean – It's not it, like ESPN. They can't take him away. No, you can't take him away. <laughs> yeah, he came up as a catcher. He was yeah. a catcher. Uh, early on at six four, six five, however big he is, a he big. Caught, he caught Phil Necro, and he said he didn't ever want to catch again. <laughs> <I don't laughs> what, what's their batter? What's the current Braves battery look like in terms of behind the dish? We talked a little bit about their pitching staff. Yeah, Sean Murphy, um, all star last year. Darno has been an all star in the past. Uh, I think you're looking at Sean Murphy, kind of bouncing back from his bad second half. His second half was not very good, uh, but he still ended up with what eight forty four OPS. 21 home runs. I think you're going to see a better Sean Murphy. Um, good defender, really good defender. If you ever if you ever look at blocking metrics, he's, he's right up there at the top. Um, but I think he's going to get the majority of the, the uh, playing time behind the plate. But they have the veteran in Darno as well. So they're stacked behind the plate as well. Yeah, I'm a big Murphy fan. I thought that was another – well, they stole two from the A's, right? With <laughs> yeah, I don't and, know how Alex keeps doing that. I know. Um no, I'm a big Murphy fan. Murphy could also slide in as a DH. I think he's got a good enough bat to do that. Well, yeah, I but guess you can't you can't DH him because Marcelo Zuna hits 40 homers. Yeah, that's a that's a big problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> where, where are they weak? Where are the where are the Braves? If anything, where are they lacking? What are we missing? Uh, the, maybe Kelnick and left, kind of seeing what he's got. Um, but he's a toolsy guy who they expect to be even better than he was last year. It was kind of a breakout for him last year. Uh, the first Two years he was up in the big leagues, it was really, really bad. Hit under 200. 
both those years, but last year kind of figured some things out. And I think it's, it's a lot like what has happened with Ozzie Albies, what happened with Michael Harris. You could slide those guys into the bottom of the order, eight, nine in the order, and just let them play. And all of a sudden, the confidence starts to skyrocket because they, they don't have to be the guy because everybody else is the guy. So I think if you're looking at a weak spot, it could be Kelnick, but the upside is so high with him that might not be a weak spot at all. And all of a sudden, you might have the best outfield in the game. Yeah, Alex Anthopoulos, he has the Midas touch. He he uh, he seems to do make all the right decisions for Atlanta. So I've, Kelnick was a big-time prospect, and I think they – you know, it takes time, right? I mean, you've, you've been there. You, 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 uh-huh. you made your way through the minors. Is his struggles common? And, and have you ever, did you ever experience anything like that? Uh, I didn't um, experience anything like that, but I've seen guys that have. Uh, but he, what he signed for like five million bucks, gets traded over to Seattle. When they called him up, they threw him straight into the three hole. And there's a lot of pressure. And he said that he was at Brace Fest last week and he said the same thing. He's just he's looking for like a fresh start, and a lot of times those those guys need that fresh start. I thought one thing that he said that was interesting was he felt like his life was baseball, and once he figured out last year that hey, I'm a human being and baseball's second, then he was able to relax a little bit. So it does take time. When when you think about how high profile some of these guys are and all the pressure that's on them. They have to find some way to take that pressure off. Some people love the pressure that can deal with it. Some people have a tough time with it. And I think the best way for like a Kelnick to deal with that was finding something in himself to make himself better as a person, but also finding a spot that takes pressure off of him. And I think this lineup right here definitely takes pressure off of guys and allows is going to allow him to kind of uh, be himself and, and produce like he feels like he should produce and people expect him to produce. Yeah. We'll see a lot more fastballs down at the bottom of that lineup. Uh, when the lineup turns over, you want to get those guys at the bottom out. So you don't want to see the top. That's right. <laughs> back to you. <laughs> Nick, talk a little bit about uh, Ron Washington. You know, obviously he leaves to, to go to become manager of the angels. Uh, you being a former infielder and what we know what Ron does with infielders, how much you think his, his, uh, being gone will impact the Braves and and what's it going to mean for the Angels in your thoughts? I thought that was a great hire by the Angels. Um, they have they have some work to do over there, and I think that if anybody can get it done, it's Ron Washington. If you've ever spent any time with him, he's a funny guy, but he's a, a business type guy, and he wants you to work hard. And if you work hard, the results are probably going to be there if you have the right group of people, right? So he's going to make people better. I thought that's one thing that he did a really good job of in Atlanta, just making guys better, making them better people, making them better baseball players, uh, making them believe themselves more. The one thing I think that's hard to uh, kind of get from anybody else is the energy and attitude that he has in the relationships that he has with all the players. That's going to be hard to, um, to ha- for somebody else to pick up the slack with. And, I don't think they feel like they have to do that. I think they have a great guy in Matt Tuiasosopo who's going to fill his spot at third base coach. And the guys love Tui. He came up last year, coached third base a few games when Wash had to go somewhere. So they're familiar with him. And he, he works with all the infielders in spring training as well. So I think that's a nice fit. But as far as the energy and attitude um, and the fun that Wash brought to the team every single day, that's going to be hard for somebody else to bring to the table. I don't, and I don't think anybody's going to try to do that, but that's something that they're definitely going to miss. Yeah, I mean, that's an institutional knowledge thing. You know, it's like, I know we're, we're a network uh, with a little bit of older demographic, our hosts here. And, you know, as part of what people have been banging the drums on our end is to get those baseball people. And that's not to say that Wash doesn't, you know, adhere to analytics or things that are making modern players tick in front offices work, but just a presence of a person or people that bring decades uh-huh. of experience, you know, just how do you kind of see that, you know, with, with these clubs and how valuable you think that is for clubs? I, I think it's highly valuable. There's, there's gotta be an experience level there uh, so that they have something to play off of just instead of numbers. When you, when you think about guys that are hired that are analytics-only guys, then how do they relate to the player 
if something goes bad. It's like, okay, I can tell you what your swing is doing here, but there's going to be a point where I just have to compete. And if you can't relate to the player as far as competing, it's tough. Now, I do love the analytics, and I know a lot of players do too. And I think that's one of the reasons they have multiple coaches. So you have a lot of times you have like a veteran guy, like a Kevin Seitzer for the Braves. He's the hitting coach who's old school approach. He's been there. He's done that, had a ton of success at the big league level, knows all the mindset, knows how to, to talk to guys as far as the approach is concerned. And then you have a Bobby Magianis who can do the same stuff, but also can really work with the analytics, really work with the swing. And you can balance those type of things out. I think that's why they have multiple coaches for certain things like hitting or pitching because they can relay different data in different ways. And some of the guys, we know how it is, when you have a 26-man roster, they're going to be guys that think totally different all over the board. And so you're going to need guys that can bring all those players together because ultimately it's a team game. And if you have guys playing for individual things, then it's not going to work out in the long run. So uh, I think it's, it's a cool thing that they're developing as far as bringing that old school mentality into the analytics too and having different guys that can merge that. That's interesting because the word you use to describe wash energy. Mm-hmm. So here it is like the older guy is the guy bringing, you know, <laughs> you would think the youthful energy, you know, that, that, that a guy. Well, I'll is, tell you this too. Bring. They're going to miss yeah. Eric Young senior too. Um, yeah. He was the same way with wash his wash. They were both amazing and the energy they brought was crazy good. So they're going to miss, end up missing both those guys. But, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm happy for them. They're like best buds. So it was kind of cool to see Wash get that job. And I knew as soon as he got that job, EY was going with him. Yeah. Yeah. You usually bring somebody, you know, I remember like when Don Mattingly came to the Miami, Tim Wallach was, was right there as his bench coach, you know, uh, Hey, let, let's, let's pivot a little bit to the NL East and, uh, it looks like it's going to be Braves and Phillies, you know, fighting for one, two. Uh, how close do you think that gap is? We know what Philly did in the playoffs, but uh, to to win it, you know, how, how do you kind of see the Phillies as primary, the, the primary challenger? Yeah, I think that, you know, anytime we talk about the Braves and who they have to beat, I think you go straight to Philly. And the one team that I was scared of in the postseason was Philly. I felt like they could beat the Braves. It feels like they're getting hot at the right time. Every single year now, that happened in 2022. It happened in 2023. Uh, Rob Thompson, old school guy, by the way, does a great job over there. Uh, but when I look at their rosters, though, they, their roster is not nearly as good to me as Atlanta's roster is. Um, they have some good players, but you're still looking at, um, you know, Brandon Marsh, who did a really good job last year. But what is he really? I don't really know what he is. Does he compare? To Michael Harris, I don't think so. Um, Johan Rojas, same kind of thing. Young kid, does he compare to a Michael Harris? I don't know. Is he a Jared Kelnick? I don't know. Um, Real Muto had a down year last year. How much longer is Castellanos going to absolutely rake? Uh, Alec Bohm, who is he? Is he going to be a 30-home run guy or 20-home run guy? I don't know. Um, but you look at their bullpen and they had power arms. I think that was the one strength that they had that Atlanta struggled with as far as the postseason, that game one, they go out there and they throw Ranger Suarez in game one, who is really good pitcher, but they knew if you get, if you get through four innings, they would just run a hundred miles an hour out there uh, for the next five innings and and beat the Braves. And that's what they did. That bullpen is, is strong, strong, strong. Two question marks though. Taiwan Walker, not sold on him. He's a solid guy. going to give you 170 innings or so. Um, and then Christopher Sanchez, I really like, but I don't know what's going to happen next year. Is he going to take a step forward, take a step backwards? I don't know. And then Aaron Nola, to me, I love Nola, but I feel like every time that the Braves go up against Nola, I feel like they're going to hit him. He's going to make that one mistake up in the zone. They're going to hit a home run. That's how I feel every time he pitches. Now, does it happen all the time? No, it definitely does not. But I feel like these rosters, to me, aren't as comparable as I think the view on the field is like when I look at, think about the teams that get competitiveness, I think they're pretty equal, but I look at the rosters. I still feel like they're, they're different and the Braves are a lot better. That's an interesting point. I think when you get to rotation, you know, it kind of 
triggered me to think, you know, the points you're making, yes, it's it's a solid Phillies rotation that can get you through 162. Mm-hmm. But when you're going to line up and try to win, you know, so you, to me, you need three starters to pretty much win the World Series, right? Uh, if you have a fourth, great. Um, but it's like, are you really, you know, are, you know, how are you doing? Yes, obviously Wheeler, uh, Nola, and like I said, Suarez, they could, they could go, could go there, but did they really have that? Cause a lot of times you get mixed and match either your fourth starter, whoever's hot might give you a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's that, that I think your point's well taken. I think the, I think the Phillies have more of a 162 roster uh, rotation, excuse me, rather than a, win the world series rotation if in terms of feeling very confident that with the guy in the on the bump to start the game yeah and the, the crazy part was and it doesn't matter it's like baseball right so any anybody can get hot at the right time last year in the postseason the braves didn't hit at all and people are like oh they just didn't hit well did you look at the pitching the pitching was so so good i i thought zach wheeler was amazing nola was amazing ranger suarez was amazing they got pitched tough and in a short series like that, if you have three good starts, you're going to win it. And that's kind of what, what happened with Philly. Um, so don't take any, anything away from them. The, the rotation can be really good. But at the same time, there are some question marks to me as far as that rotation. I don't, think, I don't know if they match up against the Braves, especially once you get to that fourth spot in the rotation. Yeah. How much uh, you know, do you think that the layoff hurt Atlanta or, or you know, the first place team? Uh, I mean, I, I wish it was different. But I don't – they're going to tell you it didn't hurt. They just didn't hit or they didn't play as well as they want to play. I, I wish they would change that where um, you play the wild card series immediately after the season, the first three days after, and then the fourth day you start the DS. I think that would be a great thing uh, just because you'd have three – end up having three days off instead of what they have, five days off, I think. So Yeah, yeah. I think that was too much. But I, I don't know. I mean – it's hard to say because after a couple of games, you should be you should be back on track. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and it's kind of funny because every team wants to buy. Every team, I know, you clearly don't want to have to play three. <laughs> well, I know, thought too. I'm like two out of okay. three or three wild card games. I thought too. It was perfect because I'm like, okay, they'll use their top two starters. I wish they would have gone three games, uh, but use their top two starters, and then they would have to change the rotation to uh, to to start the DS, and they did. They had Suarez start game one, but they had a plan, and the plan worked out to perfection, and then all of a sudden they get their guys back on track. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think the, the wild card with, with Philly, if Philly were to, to you know take the division, is Bryce Harper. If, if Bryce Harper is MVP Bryce Harper, then it's kind of all bets are off if he's 100% healthy and not you know coming through, returning from surgery and so forth. So be interesting to see how, how Bryce does. Um, we're kind of uh, getting close to the end. Uh, Dave, some final uh, questions for Nick. No, I'm good. I, I I know we do have a big New York contingency, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it's it's always dismal for them. <laughs> any hope? Any hope for those Mets? Uh, I I think there's a little hope. I mean, I think they should be a 500, maybe a little bit better. But their roster's not bad though, especially on the offensive side. the The rotation's a little shaky. Um, you know, I love Kodai Singa. Quintana, if he can stay healthy, he's a solid pitcher. Luis Severino, bounce back guy. Possibly Sean Manaya. He's just been okay recently. The Adrian Hauser, I kind of like that that sign too. Um, the bullpen's a little shaky, but they should. To me, when I look at the the offense, they should be able to put up some runs. Um, they shouldn't be a an abysmal offense. I think they should be okay. Uh, but I don't I don't see them competing for a wild card spot. I just don't see it. Yeah. I think most would agree. They uh, for all that money, though. You, I think the New York contingency—they're not very patient out there. Um, they, they shouldn't be. No, not especially when your new owner comes in and promises a World Series in two years. So well, that, that Nick, shows you Nick, money can't you, buy everything. How much you know? I'm sorry, Nick. How much you know of uh, Carlos Mendoza? I don't know anything about him. Um, I read about him, and I, I, you know, everybody seems to like him. I think they need a needed Buck Showalter. I thought there needed to be a culture change. And with Bucks, the way Buck runs things, I think that runs its course over a couple of years. And so I think they need something different now. I know that that clubhouse is a mess, and I need they need somebody else and a new voice in that clubhouse. So I think that's a good thing. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't know who else would have been more perfect than Mendoza to get that opportunity. 
Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, Dave. I'm nice good on my end. Nick was phenomenal. I mean, he took us through the through Miami up to Atlanta, down and up to New York. <laughs> you know, Nick, you know uh, what I'm missing. What question I have for Nick Green is because he ex- always explains the game, always has such great points of view and insights. He could talk old school, new school. He could incorporate all the latest data. Nick, any desire to coach? No, because then I would have to go ride buses, and uh, I don't want to do that again. So I'd rather I'd rather do what I'm doing as long as I can, and I get to come home to my family every day for the most part, travel a little bit, and uh, make a whole lot more money than I did that would be coaching too. So, I don't have any desire right now. <laughs> well, that's good. Let, let's throw a plug in then for for what you do and anything new that fans of the Braves and anyone that's listening to the to the Braves on on Valley Sports South uh, might be in store for in 24. Yeah, we're we're well. We have probably the best team in the game, so it should be fun to cover. But yeah, we're I'll do I'll end up doing some pre and post game stuff, uh, some reporting stuff on the on the field during the game. I'll be in the booth on the radio side. Uh, as of now, that's kind of the plan. Some of those some games over there. So I'm going to be doing a little bit of everything. I'll be in the hosting chair a little bit more this year too. That should be fun. Uh, but we have a great team to cover. And if you want to know anything about the Braves, if you tune in, uh, hopefully we'll give it to you. Oh, uh, without a doubt. Without, it should be fun. Looking forward to it. Are you going to be in uh, spring training? How much is spring are you going to be I'll, down for? I'll be, I got four radio games in spring. Uh, I think I'm probably going to come down and do some features uh, right before they get started, too. So that I've been doing that the last couple of years, and um, I think that's the plan again. But, yeah, I'll be down there a couple of times, I hope. Sound, sounds real good. Uh, Dave, final announcements. Yeah, just thank, thank you to our 65,000. Thank you for the nomination for those two baseball podcast of the year awards. Uh, our podcast hosts like Joe do a tremendous job and our guests like Nick Green. Uh, we can't thank them enough uh, for what they all do for our network. Jaw Bats, RBG at checkout, get you that discount. And to millions, thanks so much for jumping in and being a major partner with us uh, as part of our uh, part of our growing network here. So uh, I'll let you sign off, Joe. You always do a good sign off with man on second. I don't want to do that for you. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Dave D'Agostino. Thanks again, Nick Green. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. We'll we'll touch your base from time to time to get, get a feel what the Braves are doing. Obviously, follow Nick's great work on, on that great baseball team. He covers the Atlanta Braves and all the fine work they do there. Uh, give Mark Bowman Tell him I said, hey, when you see him. Uh, <laughs> I will. I saw him the other day. He <laughs> still looks day. the same. It acts the same. So, yeah, I'll tell him. It, some things should never change. Sounds great. Nick Green, thanks again, my friend. Dave D'Agostino, thanks. And to our audience, uh, we're growing. We're having a lot of fun doing this. Um, as you know, here, man on second, we're, I'm covering everything from, from the high school level up to the big leagues, uh, leaving no stone unturned as we grow baseball and bring these great stories that we do each week here on uh, the Real Voices of the Game Network. Uh, and with that, I'm Joe Forsaro, man on second, and we are out of here. Thank <laughs> you.